This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take a seat. I say... the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show about the original Star Trek series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landru, and I'm the TOS editor for the network. With me today is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hello. And today we've got special guest Matt Hansen from the Delta Quadrant. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for joining us. So Thursday, May 8th, is the fifth anniversary of the release of Star Trek, the 2009 movie. Oh, by... okay, I was going to say. Yeah. I thought no, our show no, was no. a lot it's, older it's than how, that. How do you specify? Star Trek 09, I guess, is what has come to be known, right? Um, but not the ninth Star Trek movie. No, Star Trek 09, as in 2009. Star Trek 2009, J.J. Abrams' Star Trek which, uh, yeah, I was, I think, largely responsible for the reason why we're here now. Because I think it really did spark a new interest in the franchise. Thank renewed, God. <laughs> <laughs> renewed an interest in the franchise. So anyway, we thought we would commemorate that by, by delving into this, uh, into this, dare I say, masterpiece. Oh, I'm going to call it a masterpiece. All right. High five? Ooh. High five. All right. I'll, I'm going to try to keep the middle of the ground, middle oh. ground here. Okay. All right. The middle <laughs> in between two masterpieces? I guess that would be a masterpiece Wait, too, wouldn't what? it? Oh. <laughs> You're going to try to bring us back down to Earth. You're going to try yes, to just a grab bit. us and take us out of orbit today. No, no, us, no. Pull no. us just down. A little, just a little lower orbit. A lower you guys orbit. are in danger of... Okay. of careening into the moon okay all right gonna... all right fair enough well the second <laughs> one already did that for me <laughs> all right so yes i know that it is the unpopular opinion to be a fan of this movie and yet um well i'm if, a fan of this movie if you're in this if you're in the hardcore circles it's unpopular if you're among the general audience it's widely accepted that this is a good movie if you're listening to this podcast you're in the minority then I'm very, very proud to be in the minority. I consider May May eighth, two thousand nine, to be the day that I was unofficially drafted into J.J. Abrams's army that I've been defending for the last what is it five years now. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm right there with you. So we're gonna we're gonna look at um, basically three sides of this movie since it is kind of a retrospective. We want to go back not just to a review of the movie, but kind of take us back to. 2009 and 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 relive the experience so first things first do you guys remember before the movie came out what your your uh, expectations for for it were and 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 what you uh sort of anticipated you would see and and everything 
So, so do you guys remember Matt? Uh, like, what what were your thoughts before the movie came out? Do you remember when you first heard about it and and sort of uh, the all the the build up to it? And and what were you thinking? If I recall correctly, this was announced somewhere around two thousand and six or two thousand and seven. It was about a year or so after Enterprise left the air, and um, I was just halfway through high school at that point and i kind of was resistant to the uh, to it a little bit because i knew it was going to be this going back and doing the the original series timeline over again and i was a little wary not because i thought it necessarily would be a bad idea it just seemed that uh we just tried the prequel thing with enterprise and people didn't like it that much and i and i kind of knew in the back of my mind that whatever came out next had to be good because otherwise we wouldn't be able to see star trek for a very long time so um I was cautiously optimistic, and then I started to get more and more optimistic when in, was it July? Was it at Comic-Con? I don't remember, but the minute that Leonard Nimoy said he was going to do the movie as Spock, I, I'm obviously a big fan of Leonard Nimoy as a Star Trek fan, and I had been familiar with his biography. Uh, I've listened to it a couple times. I am Spock. He recorded that mid-90s, and... He he just gave me the impression that he doesn't sign on to do Star Trek if he doesn't believe in the project. Because he was famously offered to be in Generations and turned it down because he didn't feel like, like his role would have added anything special to the, to the movie. He was supposed to be on the Enterprise B with Kirk. So I knew that if he was going to be involved, then he must believe in the project. So I was willing to give it a little bit more leeway. And... Uh, I, I didn't, I purposely didn't read that much about the movie other than the casting news and kind of what the general idea was going to be, but I had, I knew almost nothing going into this movie. And so I had, so I had, I didn't have any expectations. I just wanted it to be good. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. Now, what about, what about you, Drew? Now, I, I know that you, you, you were talking about some of your blog posts. Were those done before the movie came out? Well, uh, Yeah. Before uh, uh, we recorded, I, I looked up some of my old blog posts. This is from April 20th. My, uh, and, it, and it wasn't really so much uh, an encapsulation of my feelings, but I, I felt like my the people who read my blog, my friends from college and stuff, they wouldn't really understand the whole pre-requel thing that, that they were doing. Uh, so so I, I tried to explain it, um, but but... At the point, like when they announced it, you know, coming right off of Star Wars, which was my big love, I always, you know, would go back and forth between Star Trek and Star Wars. After the prequels, I was like, you know what, Star Wars, go over here. And so I started uh, paying attention to uh, uh, Star Trek Remastered and all that kind of stuff. And then they, then uh, I used to go to Trek Movie all the time and... I mean that was its its priority was was this new movie, and so I'd I'd read the things I wouldn't like read any of the spoilers and stuff, but I I, I read the the interviews with the with the writers you know about how they were going to be faithful to the original and it would take place after the timeline and I I got excited about it I got excited about the the idea of being able to keep it in universe without being a slave to that universe. I liked the idea that if you didn't, if it didn't go over well, they could go back to the original. I, I described it in my blog post before the movie came out. Uh, imagine that Casino Royale 
started with Pierce Brosnan's Bond. Somehow he sends a message back in time using some cue device or something to his younger self. Nothing happens, so he shrugs his shoulders, and we assume nothing has changed. Brosnan Bond lives to fight another day. So instead of this erasing history up to that point, like if you did something like this in Back to the Future Part 1, we end up following Daniel Craig Bond while still having the option of following Brosnan Bond if that proves to be uninteresting. (laughs) You should have said he lives to die another day. I know, you know, I should have. All right. Missed opportunities. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to change it. Maybe in the I'm new not going to change timeline. a five-year-old blog post. Because <laughs> we want to remember that movie. <laughs> I like Die Another Day. Anyway. Um, okay. So, so, so what were your thoughts, like, personally? You know, what were your, as, as a fan of TOS and having to endure a number of, next generation movies and 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 everything the idea of and and just the idea of you know a reboot whether it was a pre-boot or whatever you want to call it the idea of people other than William Shatner and, and Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly playing the big three what did you think I did have a I did have a problem at first, kind of like I don't understand how we can have new actors as these characters. But then I realized that I mean, and it took some convincing myself that they're characters and and they can bring new things to it, kind of like Shakespeare. You know, everybody's played Othello. I've never seen Othello, but I, that's what everybody says. Everybody's played Othello. So other people can play Kirk, and now with the with all these fan films and stuff, you really get that that impression that you don't have to do an impression. It's not like Chris Pine has to run or had to run around talking in a staccato. He could be himself, yet still be that character. And I did fear that. I did fear that that it would be either impressions or not those characters. But I also knew that if it didn't work out, they could go back to the prime timeline. And I liked that, you know, it could just be a fun side mission. And and we never have to go back to it or talk about it ever again. And that's, I feel like a lot of the people who hate it don't seem to understand that. That it's, it's over there. It's over there. You don't have to worry about it. It's not, it's not hurting Deep Space Nine. It's, it, it's over here in its own universe and it can change whatever it wants. So were you um, like, ah, I'll go see it, or were you like, oh no, I no. can't wait to see that new Star Trek movie. I gotta be there. No, I was, day. I was super excited. Okay, all right. I, I wanted to see, I wanted to see what was gonna happen. I wanted to see if it was just gonna be a, a dumb action flick, or if it was actually going to be Star Trek. And I was, I was impressed. We'll get to that. I was excited in stages. I, I was mildly excited when I heard Leonard Nimoy was going to be in it. And then that first teaser hit in front of Cloverfield, and I was like, oh, man, this is cool. This is cool. I'm, I may have went to see Cloverfield in theaters in order to see the trailer and not telling my wife that's why I wanted to see that movie. <laughs> Cloverfield is good. Clover, No, no, no. I like Cloverfield. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I'm just bad. saying that I'm not a horror movie fan or a found footage fan, and to see that in theaters, I'm surprised I didn't throw up. So then that first teaser hit, and then I thought that was cool. And then more teasers hit, and then more and more. And then about a month before the movie came out in the States, the reviews hit. And when you have when you hit 95% on Rotten Tomatoes for a Star Trek movie, like, 
that's impressive. So something must be really right about this film. So that's when my anticipation level went into an absolute furor. That actual people who watch movies for a living actually appreciated it. Yeah, I'm... Especially... Cause I, I feel I, bad for critics sometimes. Well, I do too, but sometimes they can be snarky. But but I could remember what had happened just seven short years before with Nemesis. So it was like, please, for anything can happen, just don't let that happen again. And when quite the opposite was going on, it was like, wow. No, this, people are saying this movie is that good. I mean, to the point where my mom was saying, you know, have you heard that like, they're really raving about the new movie? It's supposed to be really good. And I was like, yeah, I've heard. I've heard so... <laughs> it it couldn't come fast enough at that point. You know they were making a new Star Trek movie? Yes, I'm aware of it. <laughs> yeah, she's that person, unfortunately, in my life. <laughs> yeah, for me, I mean, like, when when I first heard, I mean, I was ready for any Star Trek. Like, I, I made like I, I made a big deal about, uh, um, you know, Enterprise going off the air, you know? And, like, I, I even, like, did a thing where um, I, I said, you know, like, okay, you know, for some reason I always associate Domino's Pizza with Star Trek. I think because the first time I watched Star Trek, we ordered Domino's Pizza, you know, okay. me and my friend Matt. And, um, but like Domino's Pizza, especially if you live in Chicago, there's no reason to have it ever. Because, <laughs> but sometimes you have a taste for it. So, so like when, when Enterprise ended that last episode, I'm like, I'm going to eat Domino's Pizza while watching this finale. And I will not eat Domino's Pizza again until there's more Star Trek, you know? So like this new thing came out and like before the old one ended, I was like, I cannot wait for the new one, not because of the pizza, but just because it's Star Trek, you know? And then when I found out, like, they're like, okay, JJ Abrams is directing this. I was like, yes, because I was a huge fan of Alias. And I thought that Mission Impossible 3 was the best film of 2006. I love that movie to death. See? So you were already familiar with his work because I had no idea who J.J. Abrams was before Star Trek. I had not watched Lost or Alias or no, Mission Impossible 3. You're just like Tyler Perry then. <laughs> he had no idea who J.J. Abrams was either. Um, the only difference is that he worked in the industry, so, you know. <laughs> I think I had more of an excuse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, I loved Alias and um, I, I, I super loved uh, Mission Impossible 3. You know, so I, I could not wait for 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 him to 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 see his take on Star Trek, and um, you know, as, as you started, more information started coming out and everything. There were some red flags, you know, because at first they were saying like, no, this is in the new continuity, but they weren't saying that it was an alternate timeline or anything like that. And I I wrote a a blog post on August eleventh, two thousand eight. So this would have been what, approximately nine months before the movie came out. And in in the blog post, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person to do this, but I actually did call the alternate timeline thing, you know? I said, uh, based on this, it is believed that... Oh, I didn't call it. It looks like it's other people called it. It is believed that Star Trek will feature a Back to the Future type scenario. Characters in the future will go back in time and blah, 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 blah. Create an alternate timeline. So, you know... I, I knew that there was the the opportunity to do whatever you wanted to with it. But at the same time, at, my, at that point in time, and actually still to this day, I was like, there's some things which don't make any sense. Even if you do go back in time and do that, w why are some of these things changed? Like, why are, you know, uh, 
Uhura and Chekhov and, and Bones on the ship and stuff like that. So I wrote a whole big thing about all that stuff. Where's Gary Mitchell? Why are there Romulans? This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and why is Tyler Perry in this movie? You know, but I was still saying, like, I, I, I still think that it's going to be great because I have total faith in J.J. Abrams. And uh, I got one comment on the blog, and it was from someone named uh, Max, who people listening to the show may or may not be familiar with. And his only sentence in all caps was, you are fracking insane, although he didn't say <laughs> fracking. He said something else. So, oh, nice. um, so that I'm glad he's been trolling you for this long. <laughs> That's the way it works, I guess. So I was definitely looking forward to it. And as the months progressed leading up to it, I mean, like you guys talked about that Cloverfield trailer. Now I, I was a projectionist at that point in time. And, uh, I was, one of my jobs was to put trailers with movies and I cut that trailer off of Cloverfield, which was standard operating procedure so that I, we could have it to put on other movies. And I put that trailer on pretty much every movie that came through for that whole year <laughs> and a half or whatever it was. Everyone saw that that ship with the dude welding the thing or whatever. So, so that's something I always wanted to know. So as a projectionist, do you get to decide which trailers are going to be in the front of each movie? Well... Yes and no. There's one trailer which is attached to each movie, which is mandated by the studio. You know, mm -hmm. so you'll you'll always see like the last trailer will be a movie for whatever studio movie you're watching. Right. You know, but the other ones we kind of get to pick and choose. Sometimes you know people say like you got to put this on or whatever, but and they and they ship you know trailers with the movies that they want you to put on, but you don't have to. So, so yeah. So Star Trek always, always had Star Trek on there. On loop, it was it was Just three three trailers in a row. <laughs> it was kind of great, but so I was definitely looking forward to this thing. And then you know, as things started happening, like uh, the the screening in Austin, Texas. I don't know if you guys remember that. Yes. Where they, oh yeah, that was the big. That was the thing to me where I was just like, oh my god, I need to see this now. Where for those people who don't know, there was a a screening. In uh, I, it had to have been about mid-April. It was March, where, I think. It was March. March or, it was like the end it of was March or way April. Way too long. Way too far away from the movie yeah. being released. The the one of the Alamo Draft Houses down in Austin, Texas, was showing Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, and or supposed you know, to was supposed to show it, and you know they start up the movie, and then the movie stops like mid credits or something like that. The lights come up. And Leonard Nimoy walks out with a, a film can and says, hey, uh, we're having some problems, but I've got like another movie here. Well, no, no, but he... Something the, what like it, that. No, what it was <laughs> is they were supposed to show Wrath of Khan and 10 minutes of the new film. And he I said... It was something like oh, it was something I like that. So. No, it was something like that because Leonard, Le Leonard Nimoy comes out and says, "Oh, you were supposed to watch only ten minutes. Wouldn't you rather see the whole thing?" Okay, and... that's what it was. Okay, <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it was something like the they showed thing. ten minutes of Wrath of Khan and the whole mm -hmm. like it was reversed or something. It was something like that. Yeah, um, you can actually find the video online. They they videotaped it, and when I saw that video, I was just like, oh. How much would you have given to be in that audience to see that early courtesy of, of Nimoy himself? Anything. And, and of course... I wonder how many people were disappointed. That they well, yeah. I was just going to say, going back to, to, to Max, when I told Max about this, I'm like, you, he was like, I would have been mad. 
you know, I, I would have wanted to see Star Trek too. Oh, whatever. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Shut up. So, Any, so, anyone so, who complains so like, at that point that is happened, ridiculous. Yeah, I know. It's like how many chances, and you know, I'm sure that you, you could, plenty of opportunities to see. It. I've seen Star Trek two theatrically four times already. You know? Yeah. There'll be more chances for that. But anyway, um, because of because of that, I was just like, I cannot wait for this movie now, you know? And I, I luckily did get to see it uh, a week early because... Because um, you're fancy projectionist? No, 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 no. I won my... I, I, I earned it. Uh, Ain't a Cool News was having a contest where they were showing it um, a, a, a week in advance... Like the Thursday before it was supposed to come out, April thirtieth, I guess, and um, they had a thing where you had to write an essay on why you deserve to see Star Trek before everyone else. Oh my God! And you have your essay. I, I of course, I have my essay. Oh my God! I'll, I'll read it. It's short. Uh, I said I deserve to see Star Trek before anyone else in Chicago for three reasons. First. I've seen every other episode of Star Trek ever produced, even the animated series, so unlike most people, I don't have any new Trek to watch. I've been deprived of fresh Trek for nearly four years. Second, I'm not only a fan of Trek, but also a fan of Abrams and Company. How many other people do you know think that Mission Impossible 3 is the best film of 2006? But most importantly, I've already accomplished what Abrams and Company set out to do with this new movie, which is to bring new fans into the franchise. My girlfriend, not my wife... Uh, and potential guest has a virtual it was a virtual trek virgin when i met her but over the past 2 months she has watched every episode of the original series and the animated series and is now working on next generation so she deserves to see this movie too and it was wow. good enough i got to see it i got the, we got our tickets we got to go and it was amazing and uh, i guess that kind of leads into our our next uh, thing i mean just to 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 i guess finish my initial movie watching experience kind of uh, story I, I i loved the movie when i saw it but at the same time i had reservations and this is something which i noticed i i came to the realization of while watching into darkness which is unlike most movies in the way that i guess people watch most movies at least i do usually you watch a movie and the first time through you're like Oh wow, I just got swept up in that movie. And then on repeated viewings, you start to dissect it and try to figure out whether or not it's actually good, right? With Star Trek, as as, you know, fans as intense as we are, I guess, at least for me, the first time through, I'm watching it with a very critical eye. And it's not until the second viewing where I sit back and just enjoy the ride. So mm -hmm. that first time through, I'm nitpicking every little thing. And I was like, you know, I, I love this movie, but at the same time, like, it's not as good as Mission Impossible 3. You know, that was my initial reaction. And then a week later, when we had it at the theater, we were showing it digitally on three different screens, and we had a print, which meant that night before, or those days before, I got to watch it four times. <laughs> and I, I did. I watched it four times, like in the span of two days. And at that point, I was like, okay, this is amazing. You know, this may be the best Star Trek anything ever. So, so Matt, what about you? What, what was your, uh, your first time movie watching experience like with this film? Well, unfortunately, I had no contest to win. 
Yeah. I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. I couldn't write to say to tell people that I was a walking, talking encyclopedia because I'm sure that would have won. <laughs> you totally would have won. <laughs> for for those people who don't know, Matt knows more oh, yeah. about Star Trek than anyone ever in the history of Star Trek. Or at least at that bar in Las Vegas that one night. <laughs> that was the most amazing hey, I, thing I've I, I ever did, seen. I did that while partially drunk too. You me, were <laughs> you were drunk and you sat down and just schooled everyone in that bar full of Star Trek fans at a Star Trek convention. I have never been uh, as amazed he, by someone. He talks that, about it a lot. This it, is it, like the third time he's brought it up on this series. It is, is it really? It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah I've, I've got a picture of it um, on my phone. We well, should yeah, use you, that you as one of the, the chapter things. You took the picture. I remember it. that. Yeah, and you're just like sitting there. You're so intense about it. It was, it was, it was a, it was a sight to, to, to behold. It was really like I sat down and it looked like I was taking a college exam. That's that's exactly how it was <laughs> as I was writing my answers. Yep. Ironically enough, my fandom did win me uh, something when Into Darkness came around, but that's a whole different story. But uh, as far as 2009 went, I had to go. The earliest I could see it was I do remember. Are you sure? I guess it was Thursday that it came out. I could have sworn it was Friday, but. No, they, they, well, they had they had ten p.m. shows or something like no, that. No, they had. Yeah. I, I do. No, I do remember they had seven p.m. shows where I was the day before it was supposed to come out. So that was the. I was like, get me into the show where the earliest I can see it. So it was mm-hmm. seven p.m. the day before. It was the day that classes for me ended. It classes for me the way my schedule worked was classes ended that Wednesday. I had Thursday off and then Friday finals started. So I was like, I'm going to go the Wednesday so that way I could just sleep off Thursday and study all day Friday because my final wasn't until like five. So um, I went with uh, two girlfriends of mine and a few other friends that I knew were Star Trek fans. So we were all kind of, there was a mixture. There was me and a couple of other hardcore fans and my two girlfriends who one was ca- one was a casual Star Trek fan and one hadn't seen much but knew of the universe enough. So... I remember going, I had, I did not dress up except for the fact that I had my um, next gen movie com badge, which I know was the wrong, wrong cast and wrong universe, but I still wore it because it's the only (laughs) thing I had. And so I went to the seven o'clock and unlike you, Mike, I think that when I see a movie for the first time, especially with these two Star Treks that have come out from Abrams, it's just like the first time I go see it, I'm just kind of like, I sit back in my chair and I go hit me. Like, I'll just absorb everything the first uh, uh, viewing and not try to think about anything critically because I need to get the story down first. And I do remember coming out of that show imagining that this is what it must have been like to see Star Wars for the first time on the big screen back in 77. Uh, it was that level of, of euphoria. And I do remember we went to a late night coffee place, all of us group of our friends and we talked about the film for the next two and a half hours just dissecting everything that's pretty cool i i will say uh, in terms of uh dressing up like i i was on the clock right so i couldn't I, I mean i had a uniform that i had to wear um but i did wear um my deep space niners cap and my air jordan 23s which are the same shoes that little kid captain kirk wears at the beginning of the movie when he's playing the beastie boys which was a whole big thing oh that was another side these are like worlds colliding i'm i guess what you would call a sneakerhead i'm a big fan of air jordans and the 23s which are the big you know anniversary release thing when they when when that trailer hit 
and he flies out of that car. The, his shoes are sticking up in the air and they're Air Jordan 23s. And I'm just like, oh my God. And all of the <laughs> sneakerheads on uh, nikeytalk.com are going like, oh my God, I have to go see that Star Trek movie now, you know? And uh, yeah, so so I, I anytime that there is, at any time you see me at a convention or anything like that, chances are I'm going to be wearing some Air Jordan 23s. So, that's true. And that's why. But you, that's why. But you have a Niners hat. I do. I have. There two, goes your Christmas present. I have oh, you two, have two Niners cap. Great, but they're kind of they're kind of just. I, I need a new one. I, <laughs> I, I Novos, get on that, get on that, Anovos. For serious. Yeah. Anyway, oh, and and while we were showing that seven p.m. show, I was up in the booth eating a Domino's pizza. So there you go. Oh. Anyway, what about you, That's Drew? Beautiful. It was beautiful. It really was. <laughs> what about you, Drew? Well, I'd been talking it up at work a lot, and uh, so I think my, we called him, he was a scanner boy. We had a, a high school student who came in and, and just scanned old financial documents for us, and uh, we, him and I go see movies together all the time. Um, like, we'll go see all the Marvel movies together, but I think he went with me to see Star Trek. I mean, he may not have, I don't remember. Anyway, just go with uh, I do remember... I invited uh, the vice president of business for the company to come. It's a small. It was a small company, but I was he. He was a nerd, and we talked about the movie a few times. And he's just like, I don't know, I might show up. And then, sure enough, he shows up, and he's one of the only people in the theater that's in a costume. <laughs> now, to be fair, it was just like the the regular, uh, just a gold shirt with the with the the Starfleet emblem. But, you know, sure enough, he was one of the only, the only other person I saw dressed up was a girl, uh, you know, like a teenage girl in a blue shirt with Spock ears. And that was it. It was, so it was the vice president of business for my company and, 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 and you know, a 15 year old girl, but still. <laughs> so I saw it and it was great. And then I think, I think I saw it again that weekend and took Jessica and then I know a few weeks later, a group of us went to the drive-in. Yes, we still have drive-ins here. Oh, gosh. So we went to... We have two drive-ins. 15 minutes either direction, I north have, or south. I've sadly never gotten to have a drive-in experience, and it's one of the things it's, I regret. It's awesome. I saw Jurassic Park at the drive-in. That was awesome. That was, that was an experience. Of crappy sound. Yeah, I was going to say, as as someone whose job it is to make sure that presentations are pristine, (laughs) I hate drive-ins with every fiber of my being. I'm sure it's it's a good experience. I'm sure sure it's not not the best, but it's one of those things that you want to just experience once to say you did. It's an experience. You definitely you don't want to see movies for the first time there. Like I saw uh, Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen or whatever the second one was called there. Mm And the people we went with, he didn't want his battery in his truck to run out. So we couldn't hear it. Like, it was just... But every time that Optimus Prime spoke, it was like the voice of God. Awesome. Just booming from everything. Oh, you didn't ask us about repeat viewing, because I remember that after that first final I took that Friday, I went to go see it again that same weekend. And... <laughs> a few weeks later school was over and I had nothing better to do and nothing else was coming out that summer so throughout summer 2009 I think I saw the movie like seven times seven or eight times in theaters mm-hmm. yeah 
So we were all looking forward to it. We all saw it. And uh, we, we have sort of an idea of, of what our thoughts were on it. But I mean, let's let's break it down. You know, let's let's start with you, Drew. What are your thoughts on Star Trek 09 now that you've had some perspective five years after the fact? What do you think about Star Trek 09? Well, I was watching it again in, in preparation for this. And it does. I think it still holds up. It, it still gives me the feelings that I got watching it in theaters, the, the excitement, the, you know, on the edge of my seat. Like, I mean, I was watching it on my iPad mini and I was still like, you know, kind of, kind of getting weepy at the George Kirk scene and on the edge of my seat during the battle on the, uh, uh, the, like the skydive to the, the drill. And I did notice this most recent time that JJ Abrams has a problem with, uh, parents, and that he likes to murder them. Hmm. So <laughs> hmm. I, wonder, I wonder what that means. I don't know. That doesn't bode well for uh, Han Solo, does it? No. No, I'm, well, I, what... I'm fairly convinced that the original... <laughs> side note, I'm fairly convinced that the original cast are all going to die in episode seven. Somehow. I guarantee you that Harrison Ford is going <laughs> to die. Listen, I'll be in your movie if you kill me off. Well, he's already... Yeah, don't care when. He's, ar- don't care he's already dead on screen anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Mm. Oh, he, he was, was really okay hot. in Ender's Game. I was actually surprised. I was like, wow, he actually acts like he cares. Well, in 42, he was really good. Okay, that's the one except yeah. that's the one exception in the last 10 years with Harrison Ford. All right. You know what? That guy's so charismatic. I mean, I'll watch him in anything no matter what he does from now till the end of time. So, whatever. Anyway. Anyway, Yes, I still I still hold 09 in the regard that I had when it came out and I feel like it it may not be the best thing ever, but it's entertaining and it gets people interested. And and like we talked about in in uh commentary frack stars uh in last week's episode of commentary frack stars where we talked about reboots. Uh I think I said something about how People give reboots a bad rap. They don't, uh, you know, it's like, oh, it was, it was just fine before. And I agree. In in some parts, you really want to maybe remake things that were bad the first time around, weren't done the best. But But I feel like some reboots, and especially this one, gets people talking. I, I guarantee you that, that every episode of Star Trek would not be on Netflix if it wasn't for this movie. No. No one would care. Even if you don't care about the movie, you have to respect the fact that it and Into Darkness have kept people talking about Star Trek in a good way. Yeah. You know, they're they're positively received. They're you know, making a lot of money. This this keeps Star Trek in in line. Sure, it may not be what you want, but you have access to the original series and all the other series for eight dollars a month you can't beat that yeah i mean that's something that iris Stephen bear always says anytime anyone's like you know what do you think about this star trek what do you think about this star trek he's always like i hope that that star trek does really well because if that does well that means that more people are going to check out deep space nine you know I mean, he, you know, he's got the the right idea there. It's not about, you know, us versus them or anything like that. Everything is good for everything, really, you know, ultimately. Even and, if there had been a Trek FM, 
I wouldn't. I mean, I don't think I'd care about Star Trek. Yeah. For 2009, well, bringing it all well, back well, up. Well, let's not let let's not cross. Let's not mince words here. Star Trek 09 brought Star Trek back into the mainstream, and you know what, guys, wake up call. Not just you specifically, but the hardcore Trek fans, wake up call. It desperately needed it in 2009 because. I remember the dark years. Star Trek was done. Like, yeah. Nemesis had done poorly. Enterprise was the first show since the original series to be canceled. There was nothing new on the docket. It, you know, and I'm sorry, but I, I think Abrams made the right choice in making it accessible to everyone because as evidenced by, by Nemesis and Enterprise, we alone, the hardcore, cannot carry the franchise anymore. It's 40 years old at that point. If this franchise was going to survive, it desperately needed an intake of new blood, which is what this offered. And I remember the movie ended that first time I saw it, and the the orchestral theme of the original series comes up over the end credits. And I turned to my my one of the girlfriend who was really like into Star Trek, and I was like, "Oh my god, Star Trek is cool again!" Like I could just feel it. Like you you could feel the energy in the theater, and and you could feel it from everybody because. Compared to when I saw Nemesis in the theaters, when I went to go see 09 in the theaters, the theater was packed. Like for yeah. for a, for a preview showing, it was pretty full. Yeah, I, I went I, I went to the first showing of of Nemesis at uh, the Yorktown Theater in their THX certified auditorium, and the first show was on Friday afternoon at one thirty, and there were three other people in the theater. You know, and it's like yeah, and also I mean it's it's so like I I know that that. I know that I'm we're I'm, we're probably going to get a lot of crap for this, okay? We probably are, you know. Uh, but bring it. I've been fighting anytime, this war for the last 5 years. Yeah. So bring it, people. Come oh, on. Well, me me <laughs> me too. And you know, it, it it's the type of thing where, you know, if I'm if I'm talking to someone who's never seen Star Trek before, you know, and I were to say like, "Here, check out this movie Nemesis." They would look at it and they'd be like, "What?" Is this why are you showing me this? And we we can even go to one of the good ones, First Contact. There's so much like Star Trek. There's so much like inside baseball going on. In this you, thing, need, you need you need know? pre knowledge. You need pre knowledge. This film you didn't need pre knowledge. And and even without that, stylistically, yes, story is important. However, people say style isn't important. You know, but style. May not be as important as story, but you know what? It is important. It's really important because that's how you're telling these stories. And stylistically, Star Trek was stuck in the mid '80s. It really was. I mean, you you look at these things. I mean, I'll always point to this thing because it, it, I mean, I remember sitting there watching this with Max and the behind the scenes features of something. I think it was Voyager, and Michael Pillar is talking about how he was watching ER and how. You know, they had such snappy dialogue on that show, and he realized that he really needed to bring that to Star Trek. And then they show a clip of the supposedly snappy dialogue in Voyager, and Max and I are just sitting there watching it going like, this is the snappy, this is the ER caliber style that they're bringing to Star Trek? No, no, that's not going to fly with modern audiences, you know? And you can say, oh, well, modern audiences are stupid. You're catering to modern audiences. I do not think that that's true. I really don't. I think that today's audiences are smart, and I think that this movie offers a lot. 
you know, people say, well, it doesn't have that thing that Star Trek does where it deals with social issues or whatever. Uh, none of May- the movies did. Thank you very much. Yeah, I was going to say Nemesis. Let's just well, go back Star to the Trek last six. two. Well, Star-, Star Trek 6 did. Yeah. Yeah, Star uh, Trek the, 6 did. The majority sure. of the movies did not. Let me rephrase that. The majority did yeah. not. <laughs> and and what Star Trek 09 did in terms of story was something, maybe it was just the point that I was at in my life or whatever, and I've said this a million times before, too, if you listen to our other podcasts, I apologize for repeating myself. But, you know, Star Trek 09, to me, what it's always been about is reaching your full potential, whether that's on a personal level or as a franchise or anything else. You know, I mean, in terms of style, Finally, Star Trek was a leader and not a follower. You know, it was not 10 years behind everything else in terms of uh, the character. You know, I mean, that's what Kirk's arc is. That's what his journey is. He's, he's, He's a screw up who realizes that he's destined for something more. And this is the story of how he, he reaches that full potential. It's about, you know, I mean, even Spock talks about it, you know, in terms of their relationship and everything like that, old Spock. And, and I mean, I think that's a really good story to tell. And I think it's told exceptionally well. And for whatever reason, you know, it's, it's like not accepted. I think a lot of that a lot of that is legitimate criticism. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to knock what what other people are saying, but I think also a lot of it is just nostalgia and it it not being that thing that you grew up with. And and it's hard to fight that. And I I think I go in the opposite direction sometimes and you know which is also a problem, but as much of a fan as I am of Star Trek, I am a bigger fan of movies and I love blockbuster movies i'm going as soon as we finish recording this i am going to watch amazing spider-man 2 and i cannot wait even though i hated that first one you know so whatever um i love blockbusters and this was to me the first star trek blockbuster and that was so cool and anytime that i think about it like is this the best is it not the best i think back to my 13 year old self and i say what would he think is the best? Would he think this is better than, you know, Star Trek Six? Would he think this is better than Deep Space Nine? And the answer is yes, a lot better. And maybe I shouldn't uh, think about what my 13-year-old self would think when it comes to film criticism, but I have to take that into account for whatever reason. And more than than just saying like, oh, well, I'm right because that's what I would say as a 13-year-old, it's this is what I'm saying as a 30 four-year-old and this is what i'm saying as a 13 year old there's got to be something to that and i have to go with my gut and say yes this is my favorite star trek anything ever i'll I'll bail you out on that mike my 25 year old me thinks that this is the best ever actually i I couple this with into darkness because i really think it's a part one and part two of a story it's hard it's hard in my mind to separate the two but uh yeah i'm so happy the way you put that about uh being a function of where you were at that point in your life, because I was 20 when this movie came out and I was just finishing up sophomore year of college. And I think it was that reason alone that I'm going to make more people hate me right now, but it's that reason alone that I think Pines Kirk was much more of a fully realized character, much more easy for me to identify with than Shatner's Kirk ever was. Because although I wasn't a, a screw up necessarily, 
he was a flawed character who was trying to find what his goal was going to be in life. And I was in the exact same position at that very moment in college at 20 years old. So instantly I already had a connection with, with Pines Kirk. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, aside from, you know, all this stuff, and maybe this is overstating, you know, the the, the power of the movie, but, you know, movies are powerful. And, you know, the message in that movie struck a chord with me at that particular moment in time. And I have to say that, like, I don't know if I would be podcasting, talking about Star Trek or anything else if I hadn't seen that movie, because that really got me thinking about a lot of things in my own life and what I was doing and whether or not I should be doing something more. So... Take that as you will. It certainly lit a fire under my fandom. That's when I started reaching out into the internet and listening to what people were saying. And like I said, getting drafted into this fan war that we've been going on for five years at this point. (laughs) But uh, no, I just remember being so absolutely blown away. Like I said, this must have been what it's like to see one of those classic movies for the first time. Because like I walked out of there not knowing what to say and that's why i needed the two and a half hours you know the post-game recap if you will of, of the movie for the first time and just had to having to digest all that and being genuinely excited that a franchise that i thought had had run its course and perhaps wouldn't see the light of day for the next 10 or 20 years actually stood a chance to come back into the mainstream and it has through this movie and 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 the sequel I think it's not a, it can't be a coincidence that after this movie, Netflix decided to put every episode of Star Trek on, on streaming. It can't be, that cannot be coincidence. It wasn't an anniversary or anything. So it's, it's synergy. It's marketing, you know, it, it, and it, it, it worked out for everyone and, and it did bring new people into the franchise. I mean, the, the girlfriend um, that I told you I, I, that I went with that didn't know Star Trek that much. Because of this movie and because of the sequel, she's now working her way through Next Generation, you know? Yeah, I mean, on, on Twitter, you know, uh, uh, who is it Hooli Quinn? Is that is that who it is? Celeste? Mm-hmm. She, she, didn't she start off with this movie? And now she's like a huge fan of like, well, at least the original series, but I think all Trek, right? First time Trek started with the 2009. There you go. I mean, this movie did its job It on multiple levels. It saved the franchise. It is gateway Trek for a lot of people, you know? And and it got people interested in, in the rest of, of, of the franchise. And, and I'm going to say something that most fans disagree with, but I believe in my heart 100% wholeheartedly. This movie, and its sequel, but this movie is still Star Trek. It's Star Trek in its purest form because Star Trek in its purest form and its basic, basic function is that humans need to get past their own uh, physical and emotional and psychological shortcomings to come together and work toward the better good. And that's what the crew of the Enterprise, in my opinion, does in this movie. And they do it in such an interesting narrative way and and in such an emotionally compelling way. Um, Go ahead, Mike. No, I was just going to say I totally agree with you. It it is totally Star Trek through and through. And and let me just say one more thing since we're just and another thing. Okay? <laughs> um the photography in this film is amazing. Dan Mindel or Mindel, he is awesome. Okay? He is awesome in uh Mission Impossible 3. He is awesome in uh the Super 8, which I didn't even really like. Domino. If you guys haven't seen Domino, you have to watch that movie. And his photography in that is insane. And 
J.J. Abrams, God bless him, loves anamorphic photography, which to me symbolizes movies. Die Hard, Star Wars, Boogie Nights, all of those. And one of the best things about anamorphic photography, lens flares. So beautiful. And I love them in this movie. And I love everything about the, the technical aspects of this movie. The editing is superb. It is masterclass filmmaking. The, the, which is, I think, like, aside from maybe Star Trek Two and Star Trek Six, the first time that's ever been seen. I was going to say, other than, like, maybe the motion picture and maybe you can make the case for First Contact, has a Star Trek movie ever felt so grand before? I mean, you get that opening shot of mm -hmm. panning down to, to reveal the Kelvin and you hear the little bridge beepy noise. And I just remember, like, chills going up and down my spine as you see this ship coming in, in, into frame. And I was like, wow, this is big. Yeah. This is a big movie, and like I've never felt that with Star Trek before. And no, it, Star Trek's always been small, you know, and, which is great because you can tell nice little intimate stories, which are great, right? But well, this was the it's first great, time. It's great where... for the t it's great for TV, and this is what I think yeah. people don't understand is there's a difference between Star Trek on TV, and there's a difference between the way Star Trek has to be told at the movies, right? You know? Yeah, and 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 this did a really good job at, at, at of telling Star Trek you know, on the big screen. Okay. I know we've ranted a whole bunch. You oh. know, Drew Drew's one, just sitting one, there one like, oh my God. One, <laughs> no, 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 no. One, just, one last thing. guys go. One okay. last thing. That theme. I know it's not, oh, it's, it's no, I know it's not as iconic as the Star Wars theme and blah, blah, blah. But when you hear the theme for the first time as the escape pods are going away and the music swells up and the title comes on screen, I just remember I was like, who is this composer? I have to know who he is. It's like, the, the the music in this is amazing. Yeah, that that opening sequence. Oh my god! I mean, that right there is just like one of the best things you'll ever see in a movie theater. I'm sitting you know? next. I'm sitting next to like two girls and like a bunch of other people. I'm like, I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> yeah, and but it, no, yeah, the music is is definitely a highlight. Uh, I was just complaining on Twitter. I was agreeing with someone complaining on Twitter how soundtracks just aren't very memorable anymore. Like, like it just seems recently there's just not... He was talking about superhero movies and how we don't have, you know, the grand Superman theme anymore. Like, I can't even hum the theme to Man of Steel. Uh, I, mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, but that's a bad example because the theme to Man of Steel is just like... When I heard that, I'm just like, oh my God, this is amazing. It well, made, I, it made, I don't it, remember it. It though. made me think that Man of Steel was a much better movie than it actually yeah, I was gonna but, say but I, I, haven't, I haven't seen Man of Steel <laughs> since it came out in theaters for good reason. But but I do I do agree with you in general. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm sorry it, to step on, that, step on your point, you, but yeah, you've got the the 2009 theme, and it's and it's good. And he and he kept it through to into darkness. You know, he's got. G, I don't know how to say his last name. Giacchino. Michael Giacchino. Yeah. He he. He seems to know the the leitmotif kind of thing that that Williams does with the the themes for the characters and and so on and I appreciate that I appreciate his his work in, yeah in the in the movie That's, I mean yeah there's a reason why Pixar uses him for everything and and JJ uses him for everything I mean he's awesome he really is it took me a while to warm up to him but after Star Trek really I mean his stuff in Mission Impossible three is great too but yeah he's awesome can't wait to hear what he does with planet of the apes oh, is he scoring oh planet of the apes oh, oh yeah he is yeah it's gonna be great yes <laughs> sorry 
Is it bad? I'm kind of disappointed that John Williams is doing Star Wars again. <laughs> I kind of had the same thought. Honestly. Yeah, but, but at, at this point, like, it, it, it would be sacrilege to a lot of people if he did a Star Wars movie without Williams. I mean, yeah, I, yeah well, the soundtrack to episode two is sacrilege. Will, Williams is going to knock it out of the park. I mean, say what you want about the prequels, and I love the prequels, but his music in those movies was awesome. So. As, it was as the only good. Somebody better edits them together. His yeah. his music yeah. was one of the only good things, in my opinion, about the prequels. I mean, yeah, no, I mean it's it's, it's going to be it's going to be great, but um, regardless, but still. Okay, we're shut up now and let Drew talk. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. You guys, you guys have covered everything. Okay, you know, I'm it, good. Pe- people, I, you know, I, I've 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 mentioned this a few times, and and you know, I I I always it always comes across as a joke because I talk about it years in advance and it's still years in advance but i'm saying this and i want you to believe me when i say this because it's true okay i seriously want to do a podcast all about the jj verse like two years down the road when the new movie's coming out is when i'm planning on launching this thing okay and 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 I want I want the two Matts with me. I want Matt Rushing and and Matt Hansen to do this podcast with me because I want to be able to convince people that yes, this JJ verse is awesome. I was like, where, taking... where do, I was like, where do I sign up? Like seriously. All right, <laughs> all right. High five. High five. You'll be done. You'll be done with Start. the Delta Quadrant by then, right? So you'll have time to do another oh, podcast. Even if I wasn't right. done, I'd be doing this show. You couldn't pry Sweet. me away from this show. Sweet. Well, like I said, it's not going to be for another two years, but keep your uh, keep your 2016 open. All right. Commentary, Matt stars. I was thinking. I was thinking. Uh, well, I had two two thoughts. One in, in both of these, it's spelled F L A R E, but uh, flare for the dramatic, or <laughs> forty seven points of flare. I don't know which is better. <laughs> if anyone has something better, let me know, please. We got like two please. years to to iron it out. Okay. Let him know. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been awesome. You know, a yes. trip down memory lane. You know, even I though could, it is only five years. You know, but you sent me that text message last week, and I was, I did I not text you back? It's been five years. Like it's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, really. But it has. It has five. It's it's another one of those things where it's either it doesn't seem that long ago, but it also seems like forever ago like if we've it, always had it man yeah if they had gone on their five-year mission at that point they'd be done now. done by now <laughs> wow but now if we're, if we're doing real time they won't be done until what 2018 <laughs> who knows <laughs> yes you're right you're right all right well thanks for joining us matt now now where can people find you in the delta quadrant when you leave orbit and go to the delta quadrant where can people find you People can find me over at the Delta Quadrant, which is part of the TrekMate network at trekmate.org.uk. You can also find me personally on Twitter. My handle is at mhansen0207, and Hansen is H-A-N-S-E-N. And and I know I, I was just talking about this with Charlene the other day, but you are going to be doing another drunk commentary for us yes. over on CommentaryTrackStars.com, yes, which may, which have, may we... be of special interest to our listeners because it's a TOS episode this time. Yeah. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Do I say which one, or are you going to keep? You want me to keep yeah. it a mystery? No, go for it. Go for it. Okay, I thought, what can we have the most fun with getting drunk? Because it has to be like visually ridiculous and story wise kind of ridiculous too. And Shar and I were like, okay, that that does it. We're doing cat's paw. We're doing cat's paw. <laughs> awesome. So that that'll probably be up in a, a couple weeks. So we'll, we'll let you know. But yeah, go over to commentarytrackstars.com if you want to hear Charlene and Matt. Uh, get drunk to cat's paw and, so. and that'll be the third the fourth the third drunk fourth i think fourth yeah Jeez. we are taking our trilogy and making it a quadrilogy maybe even a second trilogy we'll see what yeah happens. I, I think you need to go with the second <laughs> trilogy at this point you could have a sequel trilogy we'll bring in somebody new to run it and then well no because they're going tos so this is a prequel trilogy oh yeah oh <laughs> oh we do the we did we did, we, did, we did a Voyager and we did two TNG. That means we need to do a TOS and an Enterprise, and we're going to call this a prequel trilogy. There you go. An animated series. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank That's you. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Well, that was fun talking with Matt about Star Trek 2009 today, but that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Dr. McCoy with Larry Nimitzak. But, you know, when everybody else had their Kirk shirt or their Spock shirt, like the first uniform I had my mom make me was a McCoy uniform, of course. Earl Grey. The 7-7 Challenge. Did you know that Tim Russ was one of the possible choices for Commander Joy Lee But did you know he was also in Star Trek Generations? But did you know he was also served with Captain Sulu on board the Excelsior? I did know that, in fact. The Orb. Our Man Bashir Commentary. <laughs> I love Avery. <laughs> Tell me what happens next. <laughs> and the look, the look up at an angle. He's yes. not even looking at Bashir. He's no. looking up at the angle. Tell me it's... what happens next. The ready room. Spectre of the gun. They just, they're so quick to jump to conclusions. Like the guy gets shot in front of them and they're like, death is the only thing that's real on this planet. And like, wait a minute. <laughs> How do you know that? That could just be a total figment of your imagination as well. To the journey. Favorite slime commentary. Yeah, Janeway is... Uh, you better get more coffee, sweetie. It's going to be a long day. Ensign Kim is going to put you through some hell. Warp 5. Alternate outcomes of the Zindi crisis. But inter the Enterprise is heavily damaged. We're talking practically destroyed. Everything but a shell. Maybe the saucer section is the only thing that's still around. And... 80% of the crew dies. Commentary, Trek stars. Rick Bourbon and Star Trek. He's kind of a moving target, so he found some dimensionality. He made it into a cube, yeah. and so he was able to move things around in there. A Borg cube. Mm. <laughs> Continuing mission. Star Trek Equinox. John Savage actually came up with the premise for the story, but we, they needed somebody to flesh it out, to develop it, and... So they sent me John's premise, and I just, well, it expanded into the script for the project that we're doing. Melodic Treks. The Borg in Music. In when, when they released it as a Blu-ray, they, combined them, they connected yeah. them, and there's the no feature. delay. There's, they, they cut off that music, and then it's just like, oh, that didn't work. Literary Treks. 
Rise of the Federation, Tower of Babel. Saval talks about this idea that, you know, people mutually consent to abide by these rules for their collective benefit. The idea that, you know, absolute unfettered freedom is just a ridiculous idea. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows podcast directory for Xbox and Zoom, or you can stream from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. We got an email uh, through the website from Renee Roberts, good old MRES. All right. And uh, she's from Germany. And she says, hi, guys. I'm a little late with this, but I wanted to write in to you about your review of Yesteryear and share a very special story. Yesteryear will always be close to my heart. To explain why, I need to tell you a little bit about myself. I have a congenital double sclerosis, which has given me a slightly odd walk and back problems for most of my life. Of course, I was teased for it at school. Also, I had a very strange relationship with my father for most of my youth. Star Trek was my refuge and comfort during that time, and Spock was the character I loved and identified with most. Despite the prejudice against him due to his being half-human and the troubles between him and his father, he found a career in Starfleet and a new home and friends aboard the Enterprise. His logic and his mastery, at least most of the time, of emotions were traits I always tried to emulate. He became my first kitty crush, though of course he'd have called that most illogical. But back to yesteryear, I was 10 years old when TAS came out, and of course overjoyed to see my favorite characters in brand new adventures on Saturday mornings. I taped the audio of each episode on my little recorder and listened to the cassettes over and over till they wore out, just as I did with TOS reruns. I also got the Viewmaster slide set Mr. Spock's Time Trek, which was an adaptation of yesteryear. Not long afterward, I had to spend some time in the hospital for spinal tests. Because the children's ward was full, I got put into the adult ward, where there was no place to play. But I had my little suitcase filled with my tapes, my favorite James Blish novelizations, and of course that Viewmaster set. I played the set over and over again while listening to my tape or replaying the dialogue in my mind. That helped me a lot in facing my fears. I figured that if young Spock could get through his Kashwan, losing Isha, and dealing with his father too, then I could deal with my own issues. So even as a 10-year-old, I drew a lot from yesteryear, and it remains one of my most loved Star Trek episodes. Thank you so much for giving it such a thoughtful and insightful review. Keep up the great work, guys. Live long in podcast, copyright Colin. Renee, a.k.a. Imres. Well, thanks, Renee. Yeah, thanks for sharing. That was, that's pretty cool, you know? Yeah, See? that's it's great to hear about Star Trek, even the, even the animated series, you know, helping people through tough times. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's tell everybody where they can contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts and stories about Star Trek. Just go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose Standard Orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone. And you can talk to us and our other listeners in our forums at trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? Well, you can find me here on trek.fm doing commentary, Trek Stars, uh, with my friend Max. And you can also find me along with Max on commentarytrackstars.com, where we do commentary track stars off topic. And uh, you can find uh, me on Twitter Mumbles3K. And you can find me on Twitter at Double O Five, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. 
And you can find me on uh, various other shows around the network and not on the network, like Commentary Frack Stars, episode mm-hmm. four with Mike. Yeah. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what do you have for everyone? Well, I have kind of an obvious choice, and that would be the Star Trek movie tie-in, which is the uh, novelization of the the Star Trek 09 movie, which we cover today. It was written by Alan Dean Foster, who I just found out yesterday. Now, I knew that he had written the first Star Wars novel, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, but what I did not know until an article that I read yesterday is that Splinter of the Mind's Eye was commissioned by George Lucas to be a cheap sequel should Star Wars not be successful and they not have enough money to make Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Like, the reason why Harrison Ford, or the reason why Han Solo isn't in it is because they didn't have Harrison Ford locked down and they thought they probably couldn't get him. And and like there's even like a a space battle, which Foster had um, written, which Lucas made him take out because he thought it would be too expensive. Wow, it's crazy. So, so the Mind's Eye could have been Star Wars Episode Two. Yes, and wow, he made him cut stuff out of the novel because he was trying to do a blueprint for a cheap sequel. It's really interesting. I, I really need to it's read that It's very book. interesting that, yeah. you know, Vader's not Luke's father, and Luke obviously has a crush on Leia. Yeah. Revisionism! <coughs> Sorry. But regardless of all that, we're talking about Star Trek. Star oh, yeah, Trek we're movie not, time. We're not talking about Splinter of the Mind's Eye. And we're talking about Alan Dean Foster's work here, which, you know, he, you know, was one of the writers on Star Trek The Motion Picture. So, hey... And this thing's narrated by Zachary Quinto. Um, It's unabridged, eight hours and six minutes long. Uh, The synopsis for people who may not be familiar. In the far reaches of the galaxy, a machine of war bursts into existence in a place and time it was never meant to be. On a mission of retribution for the destruction of his planet, its half-mad captain seeks the death of every intelligent being and the annihilation of every civilized world. Kirk and Spock, Two completely different and unyielding personalities must find a way to lead the only crew aboard the only ship that can stop him. And you can get this book for free on audible.com since you listen to Standard Orbit. That's right. As a listener to Standard Orbit and all the other Trek FM shows, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. And there's another way that you can help keep Standard Orbit in orbit, and that's by adopting some aliens. Well, alien illustrations. If you go to trek.fm slash donate, you find eight original alien illustrations by Tobo Ushi, who does most of the artwork you see on the website. 
They're available as both badges and art prints, and there are different contribution levels for you to choose from. Just let us know which you would like and which format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate. Show your support and help us pay the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. Yeah, and you can get a Romulan. Romulan, he, yes. They're, they're not See, half bald. mad. Yeah, they're not bald, but you know. Oh, not tattooed. No. And they have the ridge, the forehead ridge. But it's still a Romulan. It's still a Romulan. Yeah. Poor Romulus. <laughs> well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landru. Thank you.